0: Now I want to read you two or three very interesting verses. I'll just skip around. This is the 22nd verse of the 18th chapter of Genesis. You heard this read a minute, a few minutes ago. And the men turned their faces from Thence and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. Now make a note of that verse. These messages went on, but Abraham stayed there with the Lord. Now down to the 33rd verse of this same chapter. And the Lord went his way as soon as he left communing with Abraham. And Abraham returned unto his place. Now we're going over to the 19th chapter, and I want to read two verses. Now out of these two verses, I'm going to get my text. For we will destroy this place. Now that's what these messages were saying to Lot. We will destroy this place because the cry of them is waxen great before the Lord, and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. Our business here is to destroy Sodom. Now we're going down to the next verse. Haste the escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou be come thither. Now here are the two texts, and I've never heard a sermon on these texts, and certainly not a sermon where you combine them. And I got them this morning in my office as I sat there thinking of this wonderful story. And the Lord sent us to destroy it, that is Sodom. Now, in the 22nd verse, I cannot do anything till thou come thither. I've been sent here to destroy it, but I can't do it till you get away. Two angelic travelers went from Abraham's tent to the house of Lot in Sodom. They were divinely sent on a solemn errand. They reached the gate of this wicked city, and Lot invited them to spend the night in his home. At first, they refused his hospitality, but he insisted on them spending the night in home. And at last, they consented. And it seems to be according to the oriental custom, no, uh, I uh, will abide in the street. And he said, come on in now. That same sort of custom holds in the Orient to some extent still. That night in the home circle, he broke some sad, sad news. It goes something like this. The city of Sodom is going to be destroyed. We've been over yonder wilderness talking to Uncle Abraham. And we've come here to tell you to get your family together and leave. For we are going to destroy this city. Now, Lot listened to the message and made haste to warn his sons-in-law and his daughters, and yet next morning he was so loath to leave the doom city, the angels actually almost had to put their hands on him and put him out of the fire. Strange, isn't it? No more peculiar than what's happened today. I come to a man and say, you believe there's a god? He said, yes, I believe there's a god. You believe there's a heaven? Yes, I believe there's a heaven. You believe there's a hell? Yes, I think there's some kind of hell. You believe a Christian's going to heaven? Oh yes, I I think so. You think the sinner's going to hell? Yes, I, I I suppose so. Are you a Christian? No, I'm not a Christian. Will you accept Jesus Christ as your savior? Not now. Why not now? Well, not now, not tonight. I've heard that not tonight thousands of times. Why not tonight? You believe it? Yes, but not tonight. You may die tonight. I know that. I don't know how long I'm going to live. Might be my last call, but not tonight, lest Lot was wiser than the man that says that. Lot believed destruction was coming, made haste to warn his family. And yet next morning, uh, he seemed to wobble just a little and was so loath to leave until he was snatched like a brand from the burning. Human nature hasn't changed since Lot's day. Now, I want you to notice these messengers went to Lot. And God went with these messengers to Abraham. Now, notice what God did. God told Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom. But God said, I mustn't keep this from my friend Abraham. The motive that God had in telling Abraham was an entirely different motive than what he had in telling Lot. He said, Abraham's my friend. I've chosen him to head a great nation, and I, I must tell him, I, I must take him into my confidence. He know, needs to know about the future. It's his business to know, and it's my responsibility to part him this information. He's my friend. That's not the reason the messengers told Lot. The messengers told Lot about this destruction in order to try to save Lot from the destruction. The approach was entirely different. I want you to remember something else. These messengers that went to Lot did not pronounce judgment upon the city. They went there to execute judgment. Judgment was pronounced by Almighty God. Abraham dealt with God and argued the case with God and said to God, you are the judge of the universe and the judge of this universe cannot do wrong. And that was the great appeal. No lawyer in the court ever made a stronger appeal than that. This is a, according to the setup of the universe. You are an infinitely just God. You couldn't do wrong. It wouldn't be right to destroy a city if the righteous to be destroyed the wicked. There's a principle at stake. And you couldn't do that. And by the way, I hope to say before I get through this brief message this morning, how significant that statement may be. You could not do it. He said, it is right, your honor. You are the judge of the universe, and there's an eternal principle here. Say, God Almighty Himself doesn't repudiate eternal principles. That which is right's always right. That which is wrong always wrong. There may be extenuating circumstances. It may soften the thing a little. But the eternal principles hold. It's never been right to steal. Never been right to lie. Never been right to do wrong. Never been right to be unjust. So he said, now that's I'm talking to your honor about this. And he said, I'll not destroy it. God said to Abraham. He went on over there. But you know, these messages of God went to destroy Sodom, but not to destroy the righteous with it. Now, I don't have a great respect for Lot and never have it. I'm speaking reverently. He's dead and gone and hasn't yet defended himself after these centuries. I've never had much respect for Lot. In the first place, uh, I don't think he put over a deal. It was exactly right when he dealt with his uncle Abraham. One time, Abraham said, "Let there be no strife between me and thee. We are brethren. Let's have peace, at any price." You have too many servants and too many employees and too many cattle, uh, and uh, I have too many. We can't get along. Now, how do the magnanimous thing about it? You want to go this way, I'll go this way. We won't have any trouble. We'll have peace. We are brethren. And brethren should live in peace. That's better than cattle and better than having ploys and better than wealth. Now, said, make your decision. I'll take what's left. And Lot chose that section of the country because it was well watered. He made a decision based on that, that the country is well watered. He made a selfish choice. And anybody that makes a selfish choice in an hour of crisis, uh, sooner or later face the consequences. He based his decision not on the principle of magnanimity and on the principle of rioting, Abraham should have had first choice. He should have said, no, my uncle Abraham, uh, you, you choose what you want. But he chose, and, and God put it in the Bible. He pitched his tent toward Sodom, but the men of Sodom wicked and sinners, the Lord exceedingly. God wrote in that connection. You get your cattle and get your watering place and get all that sort of thing, but you get something else. There must have been something wrong with Lord. Though the Bible speaks of him as a righteous man, you know there are some righteous people are weak people. There's some good people or are weak people. We need to learn that. And the older I get, the better I know it. I've known some very good people that had many weaknesses, and God's a good God, and he remembers our frame and knows we're dust, and he's a good God. But righteous soul of Lot was vexed Saul. Yet according to the record, there are things about Lot you couldn't say. First place, there's something wrong with a man whose children went to the devil like Lot's children went to the devil and so them. That night when he waked out to warn war his sons and his daughters and tried to wake them up and get them out of the city, he seemed as one that mocked. Lot had walked with the full God as he should have done. I don't think that would have happened. Then nothing went out of the city. His wife turned back. Uh, he didn't have enough influence and power as head of the family. And the man was head of the family in those days. didn't have enough influence to keep a looking ahead of him. There was something undoubtedly in Lot's m- life and surroundings that made him vulnerable. Something in his makeup that made him vulnerable, and somebody around him, somebody. I don't want to be uncharitable. I've often wondered if it was his wife. Know why I wonder about that from so much experience I've had with people. I have never known a man and woman happily married. Both of them consecrated Christians both of them agreeing about the real of their children that didn't somehow or other bring them up right. I have a friend, one of the sweetest friends on earth. I don't know a nobler Christian ever lived than this man. He has some children. And the children are not spiritual, they're not right. And, and it worried me so much. I couldn't understand why this good man, this good man, this man of God, this man of prayer, this unselfish man, this man why his children weren't spiritual. And I learned not long ago the trouble. Incidentally, his wife, she hadn't cooperated. She's a charming woman. She's attractive. She's kind. She's lovely. She's educated. But she doesn't stand pat about her children. Her children are always right. She takes that side in every issue. And fathers and mothers that defend their children in wrongdoing always have trouble with the children. I have an explanation. And then one day this man casually asked me to pray for one of his children. And incidentally said, I feel like he didn't say, my wife, that we are responsible. He said, uh, My wife is a wonderful mother. But she's been very indulgent. She didn't make her mind. I think she's a good woman. She's just a weak woman. And I wondered if Lot didn't have some trouble there. I just wonder. He must have been one of these kindly disposed uh, men, responsive to good things. He stuck pretty close to his uncle Abraham. There's nothing in the record as far as that's concerned except when he made this selfish choice to indicate he didn't have at least a spiritual response. He didn't seem to argue with these angels except he wanted to get out as easy as he could. He didn't seem to question these heavenly messengers. I just wonder about the thing. There was something somewhere. You've got to say he was a righteous man because his righteous soul was vexed according to the Bible. So many things are hard to understand. But you know, I have a little idea that when these messengers, these, as I've often called in one of my evangelistic sermons, God's hounds of judgment that picked up the trail like that Abraham's tent and followed Lot's son. He didn't get away with his wrongdoing. He didn't get away with his sins. He suffered the consequences. He couldn't escape wrongdoing. God won't let his own children get away with wrongdoing. If God Almighty ever let one of his children get away with something that's wrong, then God would be condoning sin, and God won't do that, so of thing. God's a God of justice. And he didn't destroy Sodom until he got lot out. He said, Go away on him, set on fire. But somewhere between Abraham's tent... And Lot's home, God must have given some special orders to these executioners of his. I think God said, Get Lot out before you set the town on fire. Somewhere they got their orders. You know, angels are protectors. Are the people of God? They execute judgment on the wicked. They're God's hangman. They pull the switch when God sentences a nation to electric chair. They're God's axe the chop off heads of the order of God. But they are also ministering spirits sent to minister those who are to be heirs of salvation. You know God knows who's going to be saved. But He doesn't indwell an unsaved man before the man's saved. The Holy Spirit indwells Christian people. Your body's a temple of the Holy Ghost if you're a Christian. But a child who hasn't yet been saved does is not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But the angels the ministering spirits, according to the Bible, even protect children before they're born again, those who are to be heirs of salvation. Years ago, of course you can take this what it's worth, years ago a, a great uh, man who became a great man, great spiritual leader said, when I was a little child, a truck, ice wagon coming by, and I fell between the wheels of the wagon. And some miraculous way I got out, nobody understood it. My mother said, God did it. And he said, I said an angel did it. He said, Mama? An angel snatched me out. I saw him snatch me. Now he may have had a very vivid imagination, may have thought it happened, but such things do happen. You can look back over your life and I can look back over mine to strange, miraculous protection even when we were children, strange deliverances. That you can't humanly explain miraculous protection of Almighty God. These angels are messengers of God to protect us. And they're also God's executioners. You know, I read about the angel with one foot on the sea and the other on land making an announcement. Crying out, Attention! Attention! Time shall be no more. You know there are things going on in this universe we don't know much about. Just a little smattering idea of what God's doing. These messengers him said to Lot, we are here. And we have a hangman's rope for this city. God has sent this city to hang. We're here to pull the switch of judgment as this nation goes in electric chair. We didn't pass that. God the Almighty has put up with the sin of this city as long as a holy God can stand it. But I want to get you out. We are here to set the city on fire, but we can't burn it till you get out. You'll have to get safe before we can set it on fire, so hurry up about it. You know, I think when Abraham was talking to God, God said, don't worry, Abraham. I know that boy of yours over there, your nephew, like your own son. I saw him when he tried to drive that bargain with me. I looked in his heart and saw how selfish he was. He hasn't been all he ought to have been since he's been over there. But I'll take care of him. You're my friend sure is nice to have a friend who's a friend to God some of us that have been in hell and we hadn't had some friend that was God's friend too said a good word for us many a man this country had gone to hell if he hadn't had a mother that knew how to get the air of God And maybe some night when temptation was severe, this mother and God were in conference. She's saying, you know, my poor wandering child, I won't ask you to take care of him. He's not what he ought to be. He's been a bad boy but won't you watch over him, please? And God said, yes, I will. I'll hold back judgment as long as justice will permit. As long as I can be a just God, I cannot always chide, neither can my anger be held back forever. Long as I can be a just God, a just judge, I'll hold back the day of execution. And maybe somehow or other, pardoning mercy will reach him. Maybe somehow. You can rest easy for a while. I've told you, students here, about that. Boy, the first convert we ever had in Bob Jones University, 24 years ago this fall. His name was Moody Holmes. He's a brother of Fred Holmes, our faculty. We wouldn't take Moody in this school now. We wouldn't have taken him then, probably, if we'd known his record. He belonged to a good family. had a good mother. She died no longer. Good sisters. But Moody was a wild sort of a boy he stepped on his mother's heart they wandered away and roamed up and down the land Moody was the first convert in Bob Jones University pastor of Presbyterian Church now in Florida and Moody told me a story he said I was out in Texas this was after you saved I was out in Texas and he said uh, I was living a wild life Doing everything everybody else did. And we got out of money, me and my gang. Other well, fellas and I went broke. And uh, one night we said, We got to have some money. Hey, let's hold up this gasoline stand tonight. Get some money. And they agreed to meet there at a certain time. And Moody forgot where the gasoline stand was and didn't get there and that night the other fellas got there and held up the man and went to the penitentiary and Moody said Dr. Bob years later I learned that my mother spent that night in prayer My mother's prayer stood that night between me and that place. I'd have been in the penitentiary with them. But now I'm in Bob Jones College the first year we opened a Christian study for the ministry. Listen just a minute. You folks over there who are living in sin and anybody that might have dropped in your day, you listen to me. God does not always chide and will not hold back his anger forever. But you know prayer stands between somebody and the immediate uh, sentence of God's awful wrath. And here, the torch is in the hands of these executioners. The torch of the wrath of God read to set a city on fire and they were holding it in their hands. And as they held it, the hand of prayer caught the hand that held the torch and said, wait a minute. You can burn it. But a friend of ours has a son yeah, a nephew, and you want to get him out of this city. And as soon as he's out with the few he has around him, you can set the town on fire. Listen, I want to say this boy a princess. I'm not a great technical Bible scholar. But I do not believe that this world can literally, absolutely be burned up with judgment as long as God has one good friend in it that knows how to pray. As it was in the days of Lot, so shall be in days that come, the son of man. And many of my Bible's student friends that know infinitely more than I do say that before the tribulation comes, God will take out on this earth everybody that's saved and right as he took Lot out of Sodom. That was the days of Noah, so should be the days coming, son of man. A flood was coming, but God didn't let it come until the man of God, Noah, had a way out. And when Noah got in and God shut the door, Noah was all right. He didn't know the rest of them anything. So he reached over with the hand of justice and turned the hydrant and poured the out. Sure is nice to be a friend of God yourself, but if you're not a friend of God, it sure is good to have somebody that is praying for you. Many women? These modernistic scholars have about got us all of praying grounds in this country. They've talked about psychology and all that sort of business. And they've made many people forget that there are laws that are supernatural as well as laws that are natural. And there's a personal God with a Father's heart in his bosom. He's also judge. But he carries obligations to his children. One of the most remarkable stories of prayer I ever heard in my life, won't tell it before we dismiss you, was told me years ago by an old time camp meeting Methodist preacher down here in Georgia. This preacher said that years ago in the city of Savannah, the yellow fever epidemic was raging. People were dying by the hundreds. There's a good old faithful camp meeting, met this preacher. This man told me his name. I don't remember what the name of the old man was, pastor of a little church. And this preacher, day and night, would go to visit the sick and pray for dying and bury the dead. And one day this preacher had yellow fever himself. And the chairman of the official board of that church happened to be a man of prayer. Blessed is the church that has that kind of a board member instead of cocktail drinking society crap. When I was a boy, they picked spiritual men for the board of Christian churches. So the chairman of this official board heard his preacher had yellow fever. And he went upstairs to his room and locked himself in and said to his wife, I don't want any supper. I'm going to spend a night with God. Like Abraham of old, he talked to God. He told God that we can't spare this man. We just need him. Now I want you to hear me, God, and and, uh, I'm going to trust you. So next morning about daylight, God told him he need not worry. You know, I don't know how God says that to a heart, but I've had him to talk to me like that a, a few times. You just knew it was all right. So he went on downstairs and his wife gave him some breakfast and, and he was so happy. And he went on down the street and he met another official board member that looked so sad. He said, isn't it terrible? He said, isn't what terrible? He said, hadn't you heard? said, heard what? Well, said, our pastor's dead. Oh, he said, he isn't dead. Well, he said, he is dead. No, he said, you're Well, he said, I've just left the parsonage and I helped shroud him. i tell you he's dead. Well, he said, all I've got to say if he's dead, there'll be a resurrection in Savannah today. So what do you mean? He said God told me about daylight. He wasn't. He's was going to spare it. You didn't worry. Well, I don't know whether there's a resurrection or not, or whether the man's in a state of coma. But they told me down in Georgia that that old man preached the gospel twenty-five years after that day. The reason some folks don't believe in prayer. They just don't know anything about prayer. This school is here because people pray. An old woman out in California used to read my little paper, the Fellowship News, and one day she wrote me on a postcard and said, I'm in an old woman's home. This is the last penny I have to buy this car. I've in Georgia paper. And I'd like to subscribe, but I'm just not able. It was only 50 cents a year. So I just happened to see the card. So I wrote that old sister a love letter. And I said, I'm going to send you my paper. But you're going to pay for it. You're going to pray for me every day. Bob Jr. Bob Jones University. Now, don't forget now, that's the pay off. You read the paper, you pray. I'd rather have the prayers of the saints of God in our land than to have the multimillionaires of this country under right hour operating away. Prayer does what money cannot do. And if there's only one thing anybody can do for me, just one thing, then pray for me. For prayer's done things in this world that all the leadership of man and all the resources of man would fail to do. Lot, we want to get you out of the city so we can burn it up. But we can't burn it even under this sentence of judgment till you're safe, because God did Abraham have had it told. Lord God forgive us that we've neglected these little visits with thee so many times teach us again how to pray and the value of prayer and anoint us with the power of God make us faithful to thee keep this university out here praying center and our Christian friends everywhere real praying people keep us faithful for Jesus sake Amen.